0: Load
1: Welcome to the JurEd podcast, a podcast that provides juridical education through a lens of human rights over property interests. My name is May J. Nam. The first of each month marks rent day for millions of tenants across Canada. With the shutdown of many businesses across the country due to the COVID-19 crisis, more and more tenants are struggling to make ends meet. In cities like Toronto, where the average cost of rent for a one-bedroom apartment is over $2,000 dollars. Even government programs like the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, or CERB, is not enough to ensure that folks can pay for housing. In today's episode, we hear from two legal aid lawyers who specialize in housing law. We'll start with a workshop by Brendan Jowett, a staff lawyer at the Neighborhood Legal Services, a legal aid clinic located in the east end of Toronto. Brendan will be speaking on the topic of non payment of rent, the moratorium on evictions in Ontario and the issue of unit entries. After that, we will hear from my conversation with Kevin Laforet. Kevin is a housing staff lawyer at Scarborough Community Legal Services, and he'll be speaking on the topic of government programs and entitlements that may be available for individuals, as well as different organizing and actions taking place around the issue of rent. Although the information provided in today's episode is accurate to May 1st, 2020, we ask listeners to understand that information is constantly evolving, and we recommend that you access some of the resources that will be highlighted at the end of the show for up-to-date information. Also, a quick reminder that the views expressed by the participants in our episode are theirs alone and do not reflect the views or opinions of their respective employers. And without further ado we'll start with Brendan Jowett's talk on some of the main concerns emerging right now for tenants.
2: Uh, My name is Brendan. I'm a a staff housing lawyer at Neighborhood Legal Services. We're a community legal clinic based uh, in downtown Toronto. Our our office is at Queen and Jarvis usually, although we're all now uh, working from home, as as I'm sure many, uh, many folks here are. Um, we, we've been receiving obviously a lot of uh, a lot of questions uh, about the implications that COVID-19 has for people in in their housing situations, and I thought it might be good to just sort of cover the three biggest questions that that we're getting most often. The first is of course to do with rent payments. Um, tomorrow is the first of the month; rent is due, and there's a lot of uncertainty for folks as to you know what what this means for uh, for the rent. So we'll talk about. Um, non-payment of rent and I'll, I'll i'll get into just very briefly the the keep your rent campaign that uh that is uh has been launched and talk a little bit about uh about that and they it all kind of mixes together anyway the second thing that i'll talk about is uh, the landlord and tenant board closure so the current situation with landlord and tenant board hearings um, as well as the eviction moratorium i, I know that there's a lot of information and misinformation that's, that's going out around that. So I'll clarify some of that as well. Uh, and then finally, another issue that's coming up quite a lot is, is unit entries. So landlords who want to to enter a tenant's unit to either show it to a purchaser or to a, a possible new tenant. And obviously in a, a time of social distancing, we're all a little concerned about having strangers come into our homes and touch our things and walk through our, our spaces when we're being told that that we should be isolating and, and that also that we're, we're doing that so diligently. So I'll talk a little bit about um, some of our, our rights around that. In terms of non-payment of rent, I know, and, you know, I recognize that for so many folks that are are listening, you know, this has been a, a time of, of incredible uncertainty. It might be a, a job loss. It might be a reduction in hours, serious concerns around that, around the ability to, to meet basic necessities like food and, and rent. If there's anything that I want you to come away with, it's that there is a, a, a long process at play in terms of to in terms of losing a tenancy. And, and it provides multiple opportunities along the way to, to resolve the issue. While I, I understand that April 1st is coming quickly and, and there can be a lot of panic that comes from that. Stay the course, be to the extent that it's possible. Try and think of this in the long term. And know that just because you can't pay the rent tomorrow doesn't mean that you're. Uh, you know, that you're... Here's the, the most important piece of information that I'll give about non payment of rent. In order to legally evict you, your landlord requires an order from the landlord and tenant board, which is carried out by the sheriff's office. And from the, the first date of non payment to the time that the landlord gets that order and carries it out. We're looking in at the best of times at a period of about three months. And at a time like this, it could be anywhere between three and six months. So it's a very long process. And as we're all seeing, a lot has changed, you know, week by week, day by day. The landlord can't evict you without getting an order from the landlord and tenant board. What do they have to do to get that order? Well, the first thing that they have to do is they have to serve you with a notice. The earliest that they can serve you with the notice is the day after the rent becomes due. And that notice gives you 14 days to pay the money that's owing, and then the notice is voided. So it just it just goes away. And, and so what that means is that for those folks who, who are you know in a situation where you know, maybe the, maybe the money's going to be coming through in a week's time or in a couple weeks' time, you've, you've still got time to, to make that payment. And any the other thing is that for folks that, you know, I know there's the keep the rent campaign and, and for, you know, just professional reasons. I can't necessarily endorse that campaign and say, you know, go for it. But for folks that are considering that option. There is nothing that your landlord can do in that two week period from the time that they give you the notice to the time that that two weeks expires. So the landlord gives you a notice 14 days elapses. And at that point, the landlord can apply to the landlord and tenant board for an eviction order. Um, And, you know, right now, yes, the landlord and tenant board is closed, they're not, or at least they're not holding hearings in person. They are holding some hearings by telephone, but they're not issuing eviction orders and the sheriff's office is not carrying out eviction. I mean, ultimately, this means that your landlord can still apply to the landlord and tenant board for an eviction order, it just won't be heard right away. So the landlord applies to the landlord and tenant board, and in, as a general rule, they, they have to pay a filing fee when they, when they go to the board. And, you know, normally in the past, if tenants are found to be owing some money, then the landlord and tenant board will order that the tenant compensates the landlord for that filing fee. I don't know how this is going to go uh, in terms of landlords who are applying to the board and incur those filing fees. In situations where tenants just weren't able to pay the rent because of of lost employment or some interruption to their income. I don't know how the board's going to handle that. I think that I I would certainly be presenting them with evidence of your efforts to notify the landlord, to try and work out some sort of agreement or arrangement to, to, um, to get the rent paid. And I think that would go a long way in showing that, you know, you, the tenant have acted reasonably and by pouncing on you and 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 taking this kind of um, this sort of aggressive action that the landlord is acting on recently so no guarantees there in terms of what will happen but i think that there might be some room for flexibility around that filing fee so the landlord applies to the board and then the board will schedule a hearing and the board kind of looks like a court you know there's the landlord on one side the tenant on the other side there's a, a landlord and tenant board member who kind of looks like a judge they hear evidence they hear legal arguments so it's kind of like it's your opportunity to tell your story and to explain what's happened um that hearing won't be scheduled for months down the road again it, that gives you an opportunity to uh, get your like employment insurance benefits in place maybe to find new work maybe to sort out that the sort of kinks that have led to to a delay in payment there's a lot of time that that will pass you go to your hearing and you make your case. And if you've lost your job because of this global health crisis, I, I certainly would be arguing to the board that, that there's room there for some flexibility. You can ask for a repayment plan at the landlord and tenant board. You can negotiate with your landlord to, to get a repayment plan to get things worked out. So again, all the way through that process, you'd have the opportunity for, for fixing the situation. If in the worst case scenario. You go to the board, the landlord and tenant board member rejects everything that you've said, and they say, okay, you got to pay the rent or, or you'll be evicted, they'll issue an eviction order that still gives you 11 days to pay and stay, and even after that point, if the landlord applies to the sheriff's office to actually carry out the order up until the point that the sheriff shows up at your door. You can pay the money that's owing and void that order. So there are opportunities along the way. And that's in the worst case scenario, you're, you're looking at probably at this point three to six months before there's anything that really happens, with numerous opportunities along the way to, to pay the money that's owing and to negotiate. So that's sort of the situation with, you know, non-payment of rent. The process is the process is flexible and we hope we'll be understanding. As I mentioned, the landlord and tenant board is is currently closed right now. Um, they are hearing some matters, uh, especially things to do with like serious impairments of safety, or like serious illegal acts in in a residential complex. They're holding phone hearings for that. But things like non-payment of rent, that's that's not happening. And if you have a live eviction order, then that that will not be enforced. There is a moratorium right now on on enforcing evictions. So if you've been ordered, you know, because of some issue that you've had with rent payment or whatever it may be, even if your landlord has, you know, said that they want to move into the property and they want to enforce that eviction order. Um, if it hasn't been enforced, it can't be enforced right now. Um, so that's sort of the situation with the, the landlord and tenant board. And then you know, the last thing is just is unit entries. So landlords trying to enter a tenant's unit to show it to a, a possible purchaser, maybe even to do an inspection or to, to try and re-rent it, you know, this is obviously a situation that, that none of us have faced before and, and the law is based on what previous decisions have been made. Right now we're, we're kind of grasping at straws and we're trying to figure out what might happen if a tenant were to refuse a landlord a unit entry. My advice would be to keep things in writing, to keep documentation of what your requests are and to show that you've been acting reasonably. So. For example, if you have elderly family members or you are an elderly person or a person who might be immunocompromised or a person with a disability, I would be writing to the landlord to say, you know, because of this condition, I cannot have people breaching the the directives to socially isolate and to to distance. I cannot have those breached and I will not be allowing uh, entries into my unit. I mean, technically your landlord has a right to enter your unit with 24 hours written notice to, to show the unit. But I think that there's, I mean, the, the the times are so extraordinary that there may be grounds to say, to deny that, uh, that entry. The Ontario Real Estate Association is advising realtors that they should not be doing in-person showings generally unless it's absolutely necessary. And they certainly shouldn't be doing open houses so that is some indication of, of the situation that it it would be unreasonable to to demand a, a unit entry for for that purpose and then there's just the situation of you know tenants that are moving out so if you're moving out of your unit and the landlord wants to show it to other tenants there may be an incentive on your part to have the unit re-rented once you move out like for example if you've if you haven't given a full 60 days notice but uh, you know the same sort of considerations apply i think that you want to show that you're, you know, you're cooperating. You're being, I mean, you're being reasonable, to the extent that you want information about who's going to be in the unit, how many people, what parameters are they going to follow. Those would all be things that I'd be insisting on in writing to to show that you've you haven't kind of unnecessarily obstructed. That.
1: You just heard housing lawyer Brendan Jowett's talk on some of the main issues confronting tenants today amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Now we'll move to an interview I had with Kevin Laforet. Kevin Laforet is a staff lawyer who specializes on housing rights at Scarborough Community Legal Services. Kevin is also a member of Parkdale Organize, a community group working with tenants to fight against displacement, rent increases, and disrepair in the Parkdale neighbourhood of Toronto. Here is my conversation with Kevin Laforet. A lot of people are really struggling right now with just having to pay for rent and to pay their bills with the COVID-19 pandemic, can you tell me a little bit about some of the stories you've been hearing from clients as a housing lawyer at Scarborough Community Legal Services?
0: I think a general theme that sort of surrounds a lot of what I'm hearing from folks in neighborhoods across the city is that of uncertainty. People really don't know what to expect tomorrow, and that that sort of uncertainty creeps into a lot of different facets of their life. It kind of can may start with their finances, but it extends well beyond that into issues around food security, housing, health, uh, and so on and so forth. So a lot of the stories that we're hearing are folks, you know, at the beginning of this, a lot of employment issues, questions around people's rights to their employment as matters have progressed. uh, I think questions kind of shifted to benefits and entitlements to those benefits, what sort of programs the government has available and things like that. And now as things have progressed, and frankly, as we've seen a lack of a response for working class tenants, folks are starting to raise questions of what What am I going to do? Those really basic sort of necessities, basic survival questions, and how am I going to get by? And I think that that sort of level of desperation
1: is rising. And I appreciate that the situation on this is constantly evolving. But at present, what types of government support or programs are there out there right now to help tenants who are struggling to pay next month's rent or were even unable to pay last month's rent.
0: Yeah, that's a great question and and the first thing I would say is that if anyone does have questions, they should be contacting their their local community legal clinic. It's a great resource for these things. But speaking in generalities, the first question we have to look at is what your individual circumstances are. So, where do your where does your income come from? So for some folks, it might be a question of applying for EI versus applying for CERB, which is a $2,000 monthly benefit. The federal government has just recently passed, I believe it was last night, the student benefit as well, which I believe actually it's gone up now to $1,750 per month, and that's for unemployed students. In addition, for folks collecting social assistance, there is a one-time payment of either I believe 100 or 200 dollars available to them to sort of cover these extraordinary costs, PPE, Lysol, disinfectants, things like that during this time. In addition, there's a number of uh, education initiatives so to assist parents whose children, uh, of course, are not at school right now, to assist them with getting you know school supplies things like that set up so that the e-learning and things like that can continue. So again, with those sort of different resources, it's very much an individual assessment. The other tricky part, as we've seen, and I think a lot of people have heard in the news that these programs are constantly shifting. As I just mentioned, for example, the student benefit, I believe it was announced as a $1,250 benefit. And then through, debate at the House of Commons, it passes $1,750 benefit. So the news and, and these sorts of the applications, the entitlements are constantly shifting. So it's good for people, if they are uncertain, to get some professional help, sit down with somebody and review their circumstances and making sure that they're getting as much as possible.
1: And for folks who are unable to pay their rent, what are the consequences legally for not paying or withholding their rent?
0: Yeah, so I, I think one thing I would just add to that, May, is that I think it's important that we... Um, Kind of recognize this sort of some of the rhetoric that's surrounding that people are are choosing not to pay rent. I think that the, frankly the reality is, is that people can't pay rent in many instances, not always, but in many, many instances. Um, now that being said, things have sort of changed as a result of the pandemic and, and what's been happening, specifically at the landlord and tenant board. so whereas typically the sort of process a tenant could expect when they haven't paid rent is that the first thing that would happen is they would receive what's called an N4. And that's a sort of notice from their landlord. And on that N4, it states how much money that the landlord alleges that they owe. And it says you have two weeks to pay this money or you have to move out. So one common thing we hear, especially in communities where English isn't a first language is that people get afraid of this and they, they, they move out or they think they have to. Mm-hmm. And it's very really, really important for people to note that you absolutely do not have to move out if you receive an N4, it's just a warning. After two weeks then, the landlord can apply to the Landlord and Tenant Board for a hearing date hearing dates usually about a month or six weeks ahead. And that would be sort of where the parties would go and and make their arguments about what sort of money is or isn't owed and the timeframes for paying it back. And then the member or the the judge, but they're, they're referred to as members at the board, they would then issue an order determining A, if any money is owed, B, how much, and C, how long the tenant would have to repay it. Now, that's sort of the normal circumstances As things stand right now, the board is not holding hearings except for exceptional circumstances. And those, from what I've seen and speaking to colleagues, have been typically guns, gangs, violence, sort of matters involving criminal charges, things of that nature. The board is also not issuing eviction orders. So if a tenant already had a hearing and they're waiting for that order, they won't be coming out anytime soon. And in addition, the sheriff's office is not enforcing orders. So if a tenant had an active eviction order, they already went to a hearing and the order was issued, the sheriff won't be coming to change the locks until further notice. So in terms of risks, right now, the the process is at a standstill. Mm -hmm. I think that's important to note. It's important to note as well that the legislation gives tenants an opportunity in their tenancy where money is owed and eviction is being pursued. Any time up until the sheriff comes and changes the locks, if the tenant is able to pay off all the arrears, as well as the landlord's filing fee, which is usually either 170 or $190, mm-hmm. then the process comes to an end. There's no prejudice or penalties to the tenant. Mm-hmm. They're able to kind of continue on in their tenancy. So that's one important thing to note, a sort of legislative protection. Beyond that, frankly, I think that, again, as I was saying, there's just a lot of uncertainty. I think the there's, I've seen arguments from landlords, landlord representatives, or from folks, I guess, who, who sort of lean that way, which seem to be arguing that the status quo should be preserved, that it's business as usual, and that people should be paying their rent in full on the first of the month. I think that that grossly misstates the realities of what's happening, particularly for working class people. And I think that as legal representatives working for tenants and working class people in Toronto and across the province, we have to be prepared to do our part at the Landlord and Tenant Board and other sorts of forums to make novel and creative arguments that highlight the unique and exceptional circumstances our clients are experiencing.
1: So for those folks who can't pay their rent, what are some practical steps that you suggest they take? So
0: where a tenant hasn't paid because they simply can't, I think the sort of advice or information that we often give in those circumstances is really just start monitoring the situation and keeping an eye on it and assisting them to make sure that they have financial, which their, their finances in order, with respect to the different uh, benefits available. As I said, because the process is on hold, while they may be receiving documents from their landlord, like N2, uh, N4s, and we've heard from tenants across the city who have been receiving those, mm-hmm. practically speaking, nothing can happen right now. And so there's there's little sort of work that can be done on, on a legal side. I think that being said, one of the big pieces of advice, I know I've been extending, and, and some of my colleagues have as well, is for tenants to use this time to get organized in their buildings and in their neighbourhoods.
1: In Toronto, more and more tenants are organizing on the issue of rent. As a member of Parkdale Organize, can you tell me a little bit more about the different actions and campaigns that are happening right now?
0: Right now in Toronto, there's a citywide, but really it's, I believe it's become province-wide. I just saw some of the posters were featured in the CBC from BC, actually movement referred to as the keep your rent movement and it's aimed at supporting tenants for in a situation where they they can't pay they they simply can't pay for a number of reasons either they don't have the money um, or for fear over that they'll need the money later Mm -hmm. that being said these organizing efforts are taking place in buildings and in communities and have very different shapes and forms as they do. So we've seen some buildings and communities take direct action within the last few weeks against landlords or against landlords' actions that they feel are inappropriate, uh, they feel are really immoral during everything that's going on. So one of the latest ones, which was featured on the news, I believe on the weekend, building in Scarborough, had property management visit the units individually with an interact machine seeking to collect rent from tenants and actually downplaying uh, the COVID crisis. I think tenants are recognizing that these sorts of behaviors are, first and foremost, unacceptable, and secondly, preventable. And the way that tenants can prevent it, or at least the way I've seen tenants prevent it most successfully is through getting organized and through collective strategizing and collective action, whether that be letter deliveries, phones, apps, emails. I've seen a variety of different strategies. I think it's important for tenants to speak with their neighbors, to speak with experienced organizers, to speak with community members and to determine their own sort of capacity, what they can and do, what they're willing to do, and to make those decisions sort of internally like that. Okay. So a number of things. So one, they can check out Parkdale Organize. If you just Google Parkdale Organize, it'll pop up. We have a website. There's some information there. Mm-hmm. There's a Facebook group as well for Keep Your Rent, Keep Your Rent Toronto. People can check that out. In addition, in terms of sort of government resources and things like that, a good starting point are the community legal clinics. If people Google, find my community legal clinic, they just have to answer their postal code and they'll be able to find their local legal clinic. I believe all of them are currently working remotely or at least on limited hours, but can still offer advice and assistance. Some even have in-house social workers, which can help folks to sort of navigate through these processes. That would kind of be my, my start.
1: Thanks so much, Kevin, for joining us today. That was my conversation with Kevin Laforet, a housing lawyer from Scarborough Community Legal Services, on some of the government programs that may be available for individuals, different organizing and actions around rent, and resources available to people who are struggling to pay their rent. Thank you for tuning into another edition of the Jured Podcast. We've included links to the resources outlined by Kevin on our website. Just go to jurredfoundation.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to our podcast to access our latest episodes anywhere you get your podcast. Earlier this week, we released a podcast related to the right to refuse unsafe work, and we plan on providing more Know Your Rights sessions to keep you informed during the COVID-19 pandemic. Please feel free to send your comments to us. By emailing us at JuredFoundation at gmail.com. That's J U R E D foundation at gmail.com. You can also catch us on Twitter at J-U-R- underscore E D. I'm May J Nam. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you and your community, friends, and family are safe during these difficult times.